This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Eldorado Gaming. Eldorado Gaming is your site for gifts and gaming accessories like dice, playmats, and other items to bling out your games. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Eldorado Gaming, or our home site at eldoradogaming.com. Here at My Mythical Meta, we talk about gaming with friends and strangers, resolving conflicts, and keeping game nights fun, interesting, and recurring. Our game of choice is Magic the Gathering, but our hope is that what we share is relevant for board game players, RPG groups, and maybe even your poker night. I'm Travis. With my friends Derek, Randy, and Benjamin, we've been playing Magic together since 2014, and every game day is fresh and exciting. We've got families, we've got jobs, but with the power of friendship, our games go on. Subscribe to My Mythical Meta, presented by Eldorado Gaming, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, welcome back to My Mythical Meta. I'm joined today by Benjamin. Hello. And Derek. Hey. No Randy here tonight. Just like planning for a normal game of Dungeons & Dragons, schedules do not always line up. But this is a podcast and not a D&D game, so it's okay if every once in a while uh, somebody misses out. We've still got enough knuckleheads here to talk about these topics anyway. Hey, the show must go on. in that factory fire. <laughs> What'd you say, Derek? I said I heard Randy died in that factory fire. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows if he'll ever return? I don't know. Well, his, his girlfriend just came back to town, so that might be it, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he got a girlfriend? <laughs> It does affect our gaming, this girlfriend of his. This whole girlfriend thing really does affect our gaming, it's true. We're going to have to talk to Randy about it. In a session zero, we're going to have to set some expectations down. Whenever people play games together, a it is important to talk about what people expect from those games. In Magic the Gathering, that's our game of choice, people have started calling this the Rule Zero Conversation, something that comes before all of the rules of the game, where we talk about what we like. Session Zero is not a term that I came up with. Rule Zero is not a term we came up with. You can find the terms Rule Zero and Session Zero in most role-playing game books. You know, at the beginning of your Dungeons & Dragons rule books or anything else, usually in the first couple pages, they'll say, Rule Zero, the first most important thing about playing a game together is that people should have fun. That's the whole point of playing a game together. The fun of each participant is paramount. Social games seek to facilitate that fun. That's all Rule Zero and Session Zero are, is the expectation that if you're spending time together playing games, that people have fun doing so. But the prickly social situations come in that each person's idea of fun is varied. What is fun for one person might not be fun for another. And so there's a huge challenge for all gaming groups, especially the bigger your group gets, to keep everyone satisfied. Derek, what types of games do you find fun? If you were able to create a perfect game or play a perfect game, what would it look like to you? I 
wouldn't have put myself in this box, but I think I'm just really into like life sims, like playing <laughs> The Sims 4. Uh, I think one of my favorite games of all time is Stardew Valley. Uh, huh. These games. I didn't know you were a Stardew man. Oh man, I love it. I, I had I lost no idea. My entire like 2017 life into that game. Uh, I don't, I don't like play that's it. A, that's a game that came up a lot for me, but I never got into it because I thought nobody else was into it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so like these these games that are immersive and I can get lost and it's like casual. There's no stress or whatever. And then on the other side of that, I really like. Um, strategy games and tactics that kind of stuff I, I think a fun idea would be to somehow blend those two somehow like maybe like put pokemon into stardew valley or you know some other type of situation like that that might be the perfect game for me benjamin how about you what is the what is a perfect what is your most fun gaming session look like well I really like games where there are multiple ways to win. And I don't just mean different strategies, but even different win conditions that people have to be on the, the lookout for. I, and, and that's one of the things I like about Magic is there are a bunch of different ways to win and different strategies that are viable. Uh, I, and I like games that where you get to build something. So when I'm not playing strategy games, I'm you know a lot of tabletop games, I am playing sim games. Right now I'm really into City Skylines. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just tried to play that last week. Yeah. I, I can usually play City Skylines for about two hours, and then my traffic gets really bad, and I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> well, that's that's where I've been, and I've started just experimenting with all sorts of interchanges and tunnels and overpasses and all this sort of th- stuff to, to try to fix it, and, and I'm, I've been playing around with it. But I think that that combination of... of Intense strategy with different ways to win plus building something is what makes Magic such a good game for me because you can spend a lot of time building. If you have no one to play with, you just sit down and, and create a deck, right? Create another deck. But play around with stuff on online on, on Architect or, or whatever those other stuff, the other ones are. I, I pretty much only use Architect these days. And, and create something, right? And then when it's time to play, it's another, it's a different game where you get to, you get to try to, to match your wits with with an opponent who came with a with a different strategy and, and had their own chance to build. And so I, I like that combination of things where you get to build and you get to get to compete in di- along different lines. I think my most ideal games are character driven. Yeah. The video games that I like to play the most are the ones with really great characters. It's no surprise to you guys that I love Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just think the characters in that series are a masterclass. They're just so much fun. I think Cyberpunk is an awesome video game series and role-playing game series, but it's because they've populated the world with so many incredible characters. Johnny Silverhand, Adam Smasher, Rogue, Pan Am, Judy, just all of these characters have such deep lives, and I want to learn about all of them. And sometimes I will do the same thing in my magic deck building. I will really fall in love with a character or even just a piece of artwork, and I think, how does how can I make the rest of this deck evoke this character's story or this feeling? I do also like sim games. I'm a huge fan of just straight up The Sims 4, where I get to control their lives and and 
run them around and i have one character named chad powers uh who has uh mastered every skill he's just a perpetual bachelor who has mastered every skill i have a similar character that i named john godman uh, <laughs> who has all the stats maxed uh, yeah level five celebrity he's just you know cream of the crop yeah exactly mine was chad powers and so he, and this was uh this was back in the sims 3 where he would like travel to egypt and he would study martial arts and it was it was ridiculous i think he also had 10 girlfriends at one time (laughs) but hey you know in the sims anything is possible so so all that to say that Each one of us has different ideas of fun. Now, we have some overlapping ideas, which probably makes us good friends and helps us to make good games, but we do still each have different inklings or desires of things that we enjoy most. I think a downfall of a lot of groups is that they agree on a game and then they jump right in. They hope that agreement on a game is enough to have fun if we all agree to these rules then we'll all have fun i remember what was it have you guys ever played beer pong yes absolutely and then just like everyone's everyone has a different rule set yeah all these dumbass rules like oh it bounced twice and it It bounced twice or or they they flicked it out with their fingers or or uh uh the one of my one of my friends had a rule called celebrity where if it bounced and you could call somebody else to come for a reshot and or satellite it's just it gets more and more confusing the more different rules there are the same was true benjamin when we grow up when we grew up with a pool table yep like it is everybody's got different rules for it and, and then you start arguing over whose rules were the right rules and whatever. Something that's an uh, anecdotal experience for every single human on Earth is every time you sit down to play Uno with someone, <laughs> everyone's got a different house rule. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we had a house rule where uh, if somebody plays a zero, everyone rotated hands. Ooh. Yeah. My wife's family slaps zeros. <laughs> they slap why they slap and if you and if you're the last person to slap you have to draw a card or two cards oh they, they wow. love those slapping okay. games they love speed games so they they couldn't just leave uno alone they've got <laughs> where if someone God plays a damn card it, just leave uno alone right if someone plays a card anyone who has that exact same card can also play it so like if someone plays a red two and you have a red two even if it's not your turn you can throw a re- your red two down and if whoever then the next turn is whoever's next whoever's next to the person who just played the last card so three wow. people might throw down a red two and like and of course they stack the draw oh, what'd you say derek you like I, it i like it yeah oh god i hate that yeah i do too uh, and good I, lord my childhood rule was that uh, if someone plays like a plus two or a draw or a draw two or draw four or whatever the next person could keep the pile going with another draw. we two, did that draw too four, oh yeah and keep going our family did that too just stuck with the pile so someone stuck drawing twelve or whatever. Yeah. Well, they do that, and they and when you combine that with the, anyone with the same card can play it. It might be you play a, a wild draw four, and the person before you has a wild draw four. They can play it down and make you draw eight, even if the person that you played it on didn't have one. It was that's absolute insanity. Yes. Yes. Playing Uno. That with is my wife's family is insanity. 
No, there's no forgiving that. There's a special <laughs> layer in hell for for uh, for people who have taken Uno and twisted it past what it was meant to be. So no games rules can dictate how you and your friends act towards each other. Okay. Right. And that's what a rule zero or a session zero, that's what these conversations do. They establish interpersonal rules. Now that seems super structured. And I mentioned a couple episodes ago that whenever I was in college and had my first roommate, they, I, went, I did go to a Catholic university, uh, a very small university. It had a one-building dorm, so they kind of had the leeway. I, th- I think their population has increased since then. This was, you know, this was 10 years ago anyway. But we had to write down a roommate contract about how we would address conflicts with each other. And however ridiculous that sounds, whenever I was a teacher... We did the exact same thing. We worked in what was called a PLC, a professional learning community, and we had to write down our norms. Things like being on time to meetings. We had roles about who would serve which uh, which role during a meeting. So recorder, team leader, timekeeper, things like that. We even had somebody whose job it was to be a norm snitch. When someone messed up on a norm, when someone was late, it was that person's job to call them out on it. Okay? <laughs> that that way, it's not a personal thing. It's not Travis poking fun at Kendra for being late. It's, hey, I was doing my job. We all agreed on the rules we were going to follow, and you broke them. And any workplace that has employees working in teams will hopefully have that team establish norms. Promises that everyone agrees to follow so that a team can work well. It may sound kind of insane that we had people for all of those positions and it was, and we would write them all down. We would even say our norms at the beginning of each team meeting. But at the same time, you know, if you looked back at our team's performance over the last over the three years that we were together, we were a highly functional team getting great results every year because we were not wasting time holding silent grudges or sulking in the corner when someone spoke over us or just little things like that because we had norms. We had established rules for how we were going to work together. And with everyone following them, we worked really well. Now, this isn't a workplace podcast, but... Being a good team and playing games together so that everyone has fun, it could be a teamwork podcast. When everyone in the group outlines what they want from their time together, the group works together to ensure that no one's time feels wasted. Benjamin, you worked at the same school as me. Did you ever have any experiences with PLCs, or were you always on a team by yourself? Yeah, I was always a singleton, but our department did have norms. They were a little looser than than it sounds like your PLC professional learning community team was, but we and we didn't have specific roles for like norms, niche and stuff. We just made fun of each other for being late, or you know everyone was called out when they when they messed something up because we were we were that kind of group where we were like we were very we we're kind of a work hard play hard kind of group because all of us are singletons basically, and <laughs> and so we're we're very much like don't waste our time, you know we're doing this meeting because we have to. And if you are making it take longer or, or not up to snuff, then we're going to call you out on it. So we, we did have 
a different set of norms and different expectations. But once again, we all understood that we were kind of introduced to that early in the year in the school year and since my department head uh has retired the culture has shifted and so and and that's interesting to see right this is the sort of unspoken rule zero or session zero you can kind of see it evolving i could see there being problems when they're not as clear-cut and 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 everybody's on the same page as maybe your plcs were so that'll be interesting to to see how it develops with the the department head retiring last does your year. department does your department head make more money than who you oh yeah seize the gap benjamin fill what? the void fill the oh. power void oh no no, no. <laughs> uh, our department head retired at the end of last year so we already had a new we had a new department head this past year oh boo yeah but. Derek, what is your working environment like you haven't told us much about whether you work on a team or not, do you think it would be improved through team norms? So right now I work remotely. I just piddle around data entry stuff. Um, it's pretty solo work. I have a quota to meet every day. And it's kind of, I work alone and there is a group of us that work together towards the same project, but I'm kind of a cog in the machine and all the cogs need to work doing their individual things so the whole machine runs but um i don't really work with a team which is how i like it i like to be alone have you ever had an experience where somebody on your team or your team leader or boss interacted with you in a way that rubbed you the wrong way oh yeah that's that's kind of uh working in you know when you mess up or maybe someone's in a bad mood Someone forgets they're in a working environment and starts talking a little out of pocket. You know, like, well, like, you know, we all agree to put on our professional behavior and try to treat each other with respect. And sometimes, you know, that might get crossed. That little line might get crossed every once in a while. Right. I think that some people need, you, you just said we need to put on our professional behavior. Some people don't know what that looks like. Some people have either gone their entire lives not knowing or, or or skating by because no one felt comfortable enough to correct them. There are lots of people who would benefit from a written down set of set of rules or a set of norms for for people to follow. A couple episodes ago when we were talking about behavior at an LGS, you know, some people are a little slower on the uptake when it comes to picking up social cues and what the process of establishing norms does is it helps put everybody on the same page. Those are just some of my thoughts about the topic and why I think that session zero and rule zero conversations that you have when you're going to spend time with people, I think that they are so, so valuable because I had such a highly performing team for so many years. I've seen the benefit of them. So we can kind of break this up into a couple of different categories, and we're going to talk first about the role-playing game Session Zero. If you're agreeing to spend multiple sessions with somebody in a row in order to tell a story. So I'm going to start with my kind of personal experience about playing Dungeons & Dragons with my Boy Scout troop. We would play on campouts, and so in the weeks leading up to the game, Somebody would have chosen to be the dungeon master, and they would just tell us what level to make our characters. Okay, guys, 
I'm, we're going to play a game next weekend while we're camping, and it's level three. You just tell me what level three character you're making. And everything else, everyone would just do using the book by themselves at home. So he said to make a level three character, and I show up with a half-orc barbarian with an orc double axe. Hell yeah, brother. Somebody else shows up with a uh, a gnome wizard. Somebody else, and it's just random. Right. We'd all show up with our characters, and because we built them alone, we struggled making a group. Either the group is unbalanced; everyone has showed up with fighters, <laughs> uh, which has happened several times uh, in my lifetime. Everybody shows up with fighters, and so there's very little range support, or there's very little magic or healing or things like that. Or our characters have no interpersonal reasons to be together. My character, my half-orc barbarian, is a loner who only fights because he has to because he's been ostracized by society and another character you know the gnome wizard uh i I was an upstart student at my mage academy and i'm out trying to help others And, and you know i'm cheerful and have a positive outlook on life it's really weird for those people to get together yeah you end up with players sitting around at the first session either afraid to talk to one another because we feel like we don't know each other or the absolute worst thing that anybody's ever heard sitting around in a gaming group, my character wouldn't do this. Yeah, It's like trying to convince someone to play the game with you despite having already agreed to do so. We're already in the game and you're still trying to pull teeth to get people to actually play the game. I can think of so many cool characters that I made in the past who never got a good adventure. And it was and I was part of that problem. I would get stuck on my character's backstory and ask myself, why is my character in this tavern? If the DM said you're all in a tavern, I might be the person or I might have been the person saying, uh, my character doesn't frequent taverns. He's an he's an upright paladin who spends his time who spends his free time at the local temple or whatever. What a dweeb! <laughs> I know I, I I have been that person, or I might have said like, why would I agree to meet the mayor? Why would I? Why would my character have agreed to the mayor's summons if the guards burnt down my home as a child? So you can assassinate him. <laughs> well, Derek, I wish I had had you for all my previous characters. I, I wasn't as sneaky back then as, as I could be now. So, like I said, I've been that person who let my character's backstory or whatever get in the way of playing the game despite having agreed to play the game. I'm sitting here, you know, in the tent or or at the picnic table with my friends and... We are friends. We still laugh and talk to each other. But if we're trying to play the game, it doesn't work because our characters don't have any reason to be together. Now, on the other hand, the absolute best games I've ever played were when the group would create their characters together and we would intertwine our relationships. There are some games out there, some role-playing games out there that have built this into character creation. Like, it's literally in the book about... You know, if your three friends are sitting together, create these bonds between them and stuff like that. But you can do this on your own. 
with your friends in the DM. Before I kind of go on with more of these tips and tricks, I still want to hear from Benjamin and from Derek any experiences you guys have had uh, either with problems in your in a D&D group or a role-playing group or the opposite, really great games you've played, either because of a lack of a session zero or because of a session zero. Derek, why don't you start us off? So, I, you know, I've had the same experiences. You know, the, the good games you play are the ones I'm also in. Uh, we play with our wives and Randy and his... Well, I guess she'll start playing with us, his girlfriend. For, so for, the, like, the worst... And this could apply to, like, video games like that when you play multiplayer or co-op or something. Oh, absolutely. I remember playing one game where I wanted to play more of like a role play. I don't know. I guess I wasn't trying to be a pacifist or anything, but I was trying to use talking, persuasion, and stuff like that. I always enjoy that in games because it can get me out of fights that I don't have to do. And so I was trying to do that with this, God, I think it was like a, like a storm giant or something like that. And I was like, hey, man, like, you know, we don't have to fight. And it was kind of working, but then the rest of the group just said, you know, screw that. We, we just want to kill them. You know, they kind of got a little murder hobo And that wasn't fun for me, and it was annoying for them. We just wanted two different... They wanted a hack and slash murder fest type thing, and I wanted a uh, talking simulator, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like they wanted a, a combat adventure, and you wanted something that was more, you know, diplomacy or or investigative or persuasion and stuff like that. Yeah, I just wanted like a more... I like the role play character part of it more than i like the combat because um, this is like, coming from somebody whose current character is a full orc wrestler who just wants to suplex everything he sees god it's the best thing ever <laughs> i watched too many denzel washington movies and now i just i want to take that kind of that <laughs> level of action into uh the, every fight on the best side we had a the last game we played i had a uh, tabaxi rogue and, oh yeah, uh, your your cat folk rogue. Yeah, so this was with Travis, me, our wives, and then Randy as the DM, and we we had all made our characters together. We were all like in game friends, and man, what a what a great session! Like whole game that was. Everyone was on the the same page. You know, we'd have different adventures with with different people and stuff like that. It was great. Benjamin, I know it's been a while since you did the D&D or the cyberpunk or the mage thing, but do you have anything you want to add here? Well, I do have very similar experiences to you with playing in the Boy Scouts and stuff, but I also played a lot outside of the Boy Scouts, especially with Will and with the, there was a guy named Chase that I I would play cyberpunk with and and a few other folks that I I played D&D with regularly. And I had a similar problem to you, not the whole my character wouldn't, wouldn't do that sort of thing but whatever i wanted my character to do i always min maxed it like so much where you know if my character was was a fighter then he was going to be dumb as rocks he was going to have every single intellectual or communication deficiency so that i could buff up damage stats he was going to you know if i was going to play a bard you know i was going to find a way to max that out and that that always meant now that did provide some interesting role play opportunities but it always meant i never had a well-rounded character it didn't always fit in with what people were trying to do etc and i've never really gotten over that i still like to do that <laughs> i do that uh like when we played martian colony you probably noticed i did that you know i made a character 
I think I remember that. What kind of mech did you make again? I made that that one that was like a. It looked kind of like a uh, golem Pokemon. It was round with just claws. It had the the rocket powered elbows, <laughs> right? And it had the it had like max speed and max power with the rocket powered elbows, and it didn't do anything but fly straight at something and hit it real hard. It had. It was just a cannonball. It was basically just a cannonball with a yeah. with a claw <laughs> attached to it, and it was and, and it had no armor. You know, it was just so fast it it couldn't get hit, and it would just fly up at something and hit it, and then run away, and try to do that over and over again. But also, the character in that game was also a mute bodyguard that just obeyed the other characters and then went around and hit things. I feel like I vaguely remember you making a character in Scouts who couldn't read. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, so that's in... Uh, there was a really funny game we played in Scouts that involved like talking we were animals. animals that trapped in a trapped in a, a research lab or something. Yeah, which was... That was a fun game. But, yes, my, char- my animal could not read, and it had... A, oh, this is an example. That character had a lisp. Why did it have a lisp? Because that gave you points to put somewhere else. And... Yeah. <laughs> so so everything I, you know, of course everything I said is that character had to lisp and I'm sure that made it fun, but it also uh yeah, I would go around asking the other characters, what's the thing? What's the thing? to try to get them to <laughs> to explain to, to cuz they could read, right? So, I'm a munchkin. Let's just let's get to get to that. I'm a munchkin when it comes to role-playing games. However, the best role-playing games I ever played were the ones where we didn't have a first a first game where it was all you're in a ta- a tavern and now you're meeting each other for the first time. It really was before you show up to play, y'all need to figure out how you know each other. Right? You can be a loner whose family was all killed and you be a happy-go-lucky bard from the, that that has a bunch of friends. Did the loner happen to be, get rescued by your team and now he he begrudgingly accepts y'all as friends even though he doesn't really like anybody? Like figure it out. And, ha- and and tell me that before the game starts. And it required us to work together to create those bonds and to, to know what kind of game we were going to play before we even started because we knew how our characters fit together and we, we created their backstories together. And so if there was... Even doing that with that Martian Colony game, the way I was able to have a bodyguard, an idiot guard that just was going to punch everybody to death, was we made somebody else's character a really intelligent, high-ranking commander who kept me around and ordered me to do certain things. And that created a, a game where the characters worked together because they had to and they had been created together. So Right. Uh, and so I think that everything you're saying as far as... I, I've experienced it. Despite not being role-playing games not being my main gaming thing, I've experienced that where the people who just show up with their characters all mismatched and, and haven't had... They don't know anything but what level they are. Yeah, that those games don't always work, and you waste so much time, right? You just had a weekend. It's not like you're carrying this this a long term campaign. Your weekend was spent half just trying to get the team together. Mm-hmm. And whereas games where the characters were created as part of of a team building exercise before the game even started, those games ran much more smoothly. A recurring example from when I was in high school, and it kind of became a running joke, it happened so often, I would make a character that had a mount. You know, uh, a horse, and I would dedicate my in-game resources like feats and skills to mounted combat, lance, uh, lance combat, and all kinds of stuff. And one of, one of my characters even had a war rhinoceros. 
<laughs> but inevitably, the DM would lead our adventure into a cave or some underground structure. Ah, uh, yeah. Where my, where my animal's just like, nope, not, not going to do it. So I would make characters, and then the game just, like, wouldn't fit for that character. I'm sorry, my mounted chevalier is not a, a dungeon crawler. So if the DM wants to run a classic dungeon with lots of monster combat, a player is going to often feel cheated if they made a character that's good at something else. If they made a character that's some kind of urban investigator that's great at conducting interviews, well, I don't really need to interview the giant spider. (laughs) I don't need to interview the dire bear. Like, those are things that are not necessarily going to work out. So... One thing that worked really well in college, I've talked about Richard already, is before any game, he would say, you've been traveling together for at least six months. And, like, we would just have to find out reasons to care about one another. Why have we been together for six months, and why have we decided to stay? To stay together for that amount of time. And the DM should be a member of those conversations, uh, but these are things that... You know, Derek and I have done group chats without Randy present before about what our characters wanted to do. So here is a brief checklist of questions that your role-playing group could work through before the game starts in order to make sure that you have a fun game once everybody participates. The first thing you should check is the genre of the game that you're going to play. We've been talking a lot about about medieval fantasy, about Dungeons & Dragons, but that is by far not the only popular role-playing game or role-playing system out there. Modern superhero, Benjamin and I, when we were in high school, played a lot of Mage of the Ascension, which has this kind of modern gothic supernatural feel, you know, concrete jungle. There's paranormal evil behind every behind every normal evil in the world. Right. So setting the mood and the genre of the game you want to play beforehand is a really powerful move. Whenever we started our game with Randy, the last one you were talking about, Derek, with your Catfolk Rogue, I had said, because I wanted to make an investigator, that we should play a game that takes place mostly in cities, that has a lot of talking, and sure, there can be combat every once in a while, but it should be in an urban setting. And we all kind of made our characters around that. Kristen had her gladiator dragon kind fighter. Derek had his rogue. I had a warlock, but I I was kind of like a a police inspector who was going around and looking for clues and stuff. So setting the genre and the mood of your game, something that everybody agrees to ahead of time, that's going to help your game go really smoothly. Benjamin, tell us about that second bullet. Yeah, what character roles and archetypes are needed? So you mentioned at the the start of the episode where you had unbalanced crews where everyone was a fighter and you didn't have any healers, you didn't have any ranged combat. I think uh, this is very, very common in like uh, MMORPGs or, or other things where you go on a, on a huge quest or you have to take down a, a boss where you need a tank, you need somebody who can do AoE effects, you know, large swaths of damage to take out small minions, goblins or whatever. You need yeah crowd control right, and you, healers. You need your healers. And... You need all that. And even if your group agrees that you need those roles, sometimes like healing to me is boring. I don't want to be the healer. <laughs> like and, and and if you make me be the healer, 
I'm going to be bored and, and I'm not going to have fun playing our game. And I I think that's a problem in a lot of groups where, where they find healers to be boring. And, and the way we've sometimes resolved that is we've we've either found ways to make to make everyone have a small bit of healing so we can skip that role or we give the healer a secondary role like also is the trap finder or also the or, or whatever. I know the cleric and rogue don't usually go together, right. but but you find something else for them to do or some other motivation where healing actually gets them money and they get they get better loot or something but if you shoehorn someone in if you say you have to be the healer go make your cleric now and and they don't want to do that they're gonna they're not gonna be happy right and if you don't have a healer your group is going to be at a disadvantage so you have to figure out a way where where people can have fun playing your game with those roles and other games are going to have different archetypes that are needed right but the idea is that the group needs to be a complete group to be successful and you're going to need to to have this conversation ahead of time to know hey which roles do we absolutely need let's divide up those roles amongst us so that we can make sure that we can we can be successful in our games and this is true not just of games but you mentioned at work right i i've experienced this often Mm -hmm. I have a partner in the the legal field where we take cases and and we've divided up who does, you know who does what, and it makes things much much smoother. So, uh, and and it works in a marriage, right? Dividing up the the work, yeah. I mean these games are supposed to be fun as a marriage is supposed to be fun, but there's work to do. There's preparation that needs to be done, and it all goes much more smoothly if everyone agrees on on who's doing what and and what what's actually needed to for the group to be successful yeah my wife and i i i hate doing clothes and she hates dealing with trash and dishes so when it comes to chores i take care of the trash and the dishes and she takes care of the, like doing all the clothes and stuff like that perfect so it's like we're helping each other out working out as a team yeah so so no one has to be the healer alone yeah I remember playing Heroes of the Storm. I loved being the healer. <laughs> Derek, do you remember, uh, what was her name? Lieutenant Morales? Yes, I do. <laughs> she just had that constant healing beam? Yeah. Anyway, the next idea, once you've decided which roles are necessary for your game, agreeing who is going to play each of those roles. In the D&D game that Derek and Randy and I are playing with our wives right now, the girls were having a hard time thinking about what they wanted to do. Derek had his heart set on his suplexing orc, so we knew that one position was taken. Frontline warrior, that position's occupied. So I was, so I spent a lot of time, I'm a little more experienced in these role-playing games, where I was the one saying, hey, I can be flexible. I want to make sure that, you know, the Christians can get whatever job they want, the Christians can get whatever role they want, and then I can fill in whatever leftover space. I had had this idea of a merfolk pirate who used a whip in order to control the battlefield, to move people around and and place people in precarious situations, you know, tripping, shoving, and stuff like that. But if none of the girls were going to play, for example, a, a ranged attacker, then that was something I was willing to do. You know, if we're going to be in combat, most most medieval fantasy is a combat-based game, so if we're going to be in combat, I want to make sure that we can deal damage f- from whatever position we're in. So knowing who wants to play which role is another thing that, again, you should set up ahead of time kind of with the roles and archetypes. 
Derek, how about you hit that next point? How do your characters know each other? For this latest game, we all were trying to figure out how we all were related or friends with or whatever. So Travis is Kristen. She was talking about doing something with, I think, school or something. And it's kind of funny. She had decided that she wants to play a character like her in real life. Someone who has spent their whole life working in a cubicle who wants to branch out and see the world. So now her character is doing that. She decided that her character is going to have been someone who had an office job most of his life and is now going out and finally adventuring. And she settled on a gnome investigator. Yeah, so she was like, you know, how about we be, you know, roommates or something like that? Like we're friends from, you know, I guess War Academy or whatever finishing school is in fantasy world i was like yeah cool and so that idea eventually morphed into 21 jump street with jonah hill and um oh my god what's his name channing tatum channing tatum yeah you ignorant swine (laughs) so i I, like my character would have been the channing tatum and she would have been the jonah hill where she was the bookie person that wasn't really good with any kind of physical stuff and i was the strong person but couldn't get through any like the written exams or any of the other higher intellect stuff and we both helped each other through college and so we built that bond there and then travis and i we were like rivals he was a, a pirate and i met him on the job one time and we got in a fight and he was uh him him and his pirate group weren't able to like take the ship and like cause you know get all our riches or whatever but I, in the in the fight i had caused so much damage to our own goods yeah that like it was collateral kinda, damage yes, to your own goods it was like a pyrrhic victory for us it might have been even cheaper to just let that y'all take stuff because at least we'd have like a working ship uh <laughs> So we we built this kind of rivalry with like a backstory, kind of like little events that happened here and there. And then how did we meet my Kristen? Was it was like a bar? So Derek's Kristen is an Amazon who comes from an island of only women. And she has decided that she wants to meet as many men as she can. So her story was that she was in a bar and uh, what was it? We were, we were fighting and yeah, then we accidentally fighting. ran into somebody who was coming on to her. I think I had thrown something at you and you had ducked and it hit the guy that was bothering her. Yeah. So like the whole situation made it seem like we were like saving her for some kind of scumbag guy. Yeah. So the idea is that, and and all of this happened, all of the story events we've come up with. Before the game even started. All of it happened before the game even started, before we even sat down for our first session. We've established all of these little relationships, you know, which people are childhood friends, which people are co-workers, which people went to school together. Why would these people willingly spend more and more time together? Having reasons for that, I mean, just like actors who are asking the director, what's my motivation? You know, I mean, that's... That's what a role-playing game is. You're being an actor putting on a character. And so knowing your motivation to protect your other your other teammates from the DM's monsters or whatever, knowing those things are going to make your group that much more powerful. And you're going to have that much more fun doing it. Another idea is to establish a common goal for all of the characters. What do the four or five of you want? It's fine for characters to have individual goals and objectives. That's going to give your dungeon master or your game master 
ammunition to work with whenever they're crafting their adventure, but you should also have a common goal that you can reach by staying together. And remember that everything you come up with, all of this stuff that we came up with before our game even started, all of it is ammunition that the DM can incorporate into the world. You know, knowing that my character used to be a pirate, well, now Randy has established, or I've helped Randy to establish that there's a pirate coalition in his world now, and he can use as much or as little of that as possible. Uh, with Derek and Kristen having been old school chums, well, now Randy can incorporate as much of Fantasy War School, he can incorporate as much or as little of that into his game as possible. Is there anything you guys want to add about role-playing games or Session Zero? Yeah, maybe this goes with what genre of play. Do we want to have a story-based game where we, we talk a lot and we act a lot, or do we just want to go beat people up? Do we want to cast fireballs <laughs> and, and, and and smush big monsters and all this stuff? I'd go even a step further. Even if you want that second one, you just want everybody wants to fight. Do you want it to be easy? Do you want your people to be like gods that are that are destroying things, and you're just getting to cool do a bunch of cool stuff, or do you want it Absolutely, to be yes, or do you want it to be hard? <laughs> do you want it? Do you want it, the the possibility of a of a TPK to 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 be very real and every role matters and, and all of that like some people don't want that they they created a character so that they could feel powerful and then they're going to go up against you know uh a tarasque or something and and die and they got to play their character one game you know <laughs> yeah something that i remember you and me and will and maybe some other people, but I don't remember. You you guys are the ones I remember doing this most. With Mage, we would just say, okay, we all just want to fight? Well, let's just fight each other. Yeah. And we would, and we would just do what we called Mage Battles, where we would, everybody would make a character having the same amount of points to distribute amongst, amongst, you know, your, your, your skills and your abilities and stuff. And then one player would still be a Game Master, who would kind of referee the game and make sure that people's actions were within the interpretations of the rules and stuff, or who would set up the environment. And we were to say, okay, you guys know each other, and you all want to kill each other. You want to be the last one surviving. And we would just take turns like that. Maybe that's the genre of game you want to play, and it becomes a little more competitive. Who knows the rules better about this game? I know that there's a class of Dungeons & Dragons players that do this, they say, what combo of abilities can I put together in order to create the most powerful character of that level or something? That's a great example from our, our past. I had forgotten that, but but now that you mention it, I remember doing that several times. It was We basically want a role-playing game that's a video game, and we don't want a mm. bunch of stories. <laughs> so why, you know, don't ask the DM to do it. Just, just go fight. And so I think having that established early on is going to make everyone's day better and i think this is going to be a good segue or i hope it is into our next topic about magic because it's it's along the same lines right where you say if you want to have a long game where everyone has a chance and 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 it's a slog fest that's different than if everyone's trying to combo out on turn two or three and and it's the same thing in a role-playing game if if your guy is just hulk smash while the other person's trying to to finesse their way through a bunch of intricate mazes and stories and puzzles and convincing people of things and all this stuff 
those two characters are going to get in each other's way, and somebody's probably not going to have a good time. You know, well, something like you said is that uh, we we don't all have to be in the spotlight at all times. You know, let someone else be the hero for a minute, and you still like if I, if I'm playing the dumb orc, you know, if someone's really good at talking or finessing their way through things, you know, let them take the lead instead of me forcing myself onto the group. Yeah, but Derek, your character wouldn't do that. Well, if it's his friends, he would. Boom. Got it. <laughs> Drop the mic. He's not not without manners. <laughs> <laughs> Something Randy did really, really well in our last game, and he even made this explicit. He just said it up front. He was like, okay, guys, this this session, this adventure is Kristen's. Mm-hmm. This adventure <laughs> is Travis's. And he gave each of us a story where he said, I made this one just for you. Aww. It was really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, for example, for Derek's quote-unquote adventure, we all ended up basically becoming the Power Rangers and unlocking a Megazord in order to fight a giant uh, Grave skeleton. Thing. In order to fight a giant, you know, fleshy skull skeleton golem that was about to destroy a town. And you know how we beat him? Suplex. <laughs> Suplex. So, like... I've got a tight. A really great group. And and, it, and again, you tell me ahead of time that it's Kristen's show, that we're going to be meeting her father in this, uh, in this adventure, and that we're going to be uh, helping her father to protect their hometown from, from a monster. You tell me ahead of time that that's what's up, I'm happy to play supporting cast in that episode. Right? Because it sounds cool. Because mm-hmm. you're telling me ahead of time, what role each person's going to play in that particular adventure. So the second genre of games, the second type of pregame conversation we're going to talk about is for collectible games. So we've said many times, our game is Magic the Gathering. Each player has to construct their own decks ahead of time, and then we bring them together in order to play those games. But a lot of games fit this profile. Warhammer 40k, Star Wars Legion is a more recent game. Uh, They kind of stopped doing Imperial Assault and devoted all of their resources into Star Wars Legion. Star Wars X-Wing, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! Both Pokemon cards and the video game. You're going to spend time on your own developing your Pokemon and training them and getting them to have the right moves before you come into the game, before you come into a battle. Yu-Gi-Oh! and many more. With games like these... Players spend time on their own preparing in order to play. They prepare to play. So they're going to make their decks, they're going to form their armies, they'll craft their list. And in some cases, with games like Star Wars Legion and Warhammer, they're going to spend actual time and money building and painting the physical pieces they want to play with beyond just learning the skill and the strategy that they want to use for that game. All of the games I've mentioned require money, actual money to play. If you're investing actual money to preparing to play your game, then you expect a payout. You expect a payout from the time you get to spend actually playing it. It can be very disappointing to have invested time and money into a game only to be disappointed when you're actually playing or to feel that your time was wasted when you actually get to play. 
That's why these rule zero conversations before playing a game are very important so that everybody can get what they want out of it. Now, in a highly competitive setting, especially one with prizes on the line, competitive magic, you know, if you're playing standard Friday Night Magic or a Grand Prix or qualifiers, you know, if there's a game with prizes on the line, rule zero might not be necessary. There is no rule zero. There's just the rules of the game. We're going to see who knows those rules best in order to win. All the players showing up for the for the competitive game for the prizes, they've already agreed that the reason to play is to win. That's why they're devoting, you know, their 3 hours on a Saturday for the pre-release or whatever. That's why they're there. Uh, they've all agreed that the reason to play is to win. Play gr- and I said this a couple episodes ago, playgroups that are highly competitive are usually very healthy. They want to play and win against tough and smart opponents, and because they already know that their opponents feel the same, feelings usually, there's always a caveat here, aren't hurt. Or the social agreement, the norms they agreed on, are that people aren't upset whenever they lose. So, games attract their players in different ways. Strategy and mastery of gameplay is only one way that games attract players. Artwork, themes, lore, all of these attract players too. Those are the things that got me into Warhammer 40k. Those are the things that got me into Magic the Gathering. Players may want to experience the game in other ways despite gameplay disadvantages. You know, me choosing to play Death Guard or Nurgle armies in Warhammer 40k, that may be a potential gameplay disadvantage if I'm going to ignore some of the other demons that I might have access to in an army. Players should say up front what they expect and what they're bringing to the game. I want to start off by sending it to Derek or Benjamin. What do you guys think about how games attract players and the investment of time what do you guys want to add here i think Travis did a pretty good job of covering here the lore yeah. the lore the art the gameplay i think the online communities are are really important and i don't know that games themselves do this as so much as just people who were attracted by one of those other things get on and start talking to each other and they they create reddit forums i remember before before I was on Reddit, I was on the the Magic Forums. I mean, they're all over the place. That's really what got me through some periods where I didn't have a lot of people to play or a lot of time to play, but still wanted to stay connected, is I was on Reddit a lot listening to people talk about it. And so I think creating that large community can pe- keep people in the game once they found it. I did the same thing with X-Wing. The only people I was really playing with were literally just Derek and occasionally uh, my wife Kristen when I could, you know, wrangle her arm into playing a game with me. And Randy would play if it's what Derek and I wanted to play. (laughs) But, I mean, I found an X-Wing podcast. I was on X-Wing forums because I was only literally playing with only one person. That's my first example. I spent several years, probably two or three years, getting into Star Wars X-Wing, the miniatures game. This game had everything that I loved. Obviously, Star Wars, ships, space battles that felt intense where every piloting moved matter. And at the time, the strategy was deep enough to scratch the itch. Uh, This is before first edition was so bloated 
that Fantasy Flight games literally reset the game with a second edition. That's just a side note for anybody who's out there who's interested in X-Wing. So I really enjoyed making lists on the fly that were fun and thematic. So I would make a Red Squadron with three X-Wings. You know, Luke Skywalker, Biggs Darklighter, and Wedge Antilles. You know, three X-Wings together. Or maybe I would do Black Squadron. Darth Vader in his TIE Advanced with a swarm of TIE Fighters to back him up. And when I played with friends at home, you know, when I played with you, Derek, and with Kristen, we would have really long games, sometimes two or three hours. Yeah. But they would have nail-biting endings, they'd have thematic stories with characters that we knew, and last-minute turns and piloting errors. Oh, you bumped into a rock, that's the worst thing that could have happened. And it was a ton of fun, because we were creating our own original Star Wars battles. I agreed one time to meet a friend and his group at their local shop, and I brought my Red Squadron 3 X-Wing list. One of their friends, so this wasn't my friend, but my friend's friend, he had a top-tier, top-meta list. And for anybody who cares, it was the Dengar Jumpmasters list, where you could just alpha strike with missiles and usually kill somebody on turn two or three. Just completely neuter their entire group by taking out their ace, and it'll just be done. And that's exactly what happened to me. The game was over on turn three to an alpha strike that obliterated my list, and it simply was not a balanced game. I had never played X-Wing at that level in order to figure out, first, the combinations of cards and ships that can accomplish that, but secondly, that's not the kind of battle I, I ever wanted to have with uh, with my wife Kristen or with Derek. So the game that I had with this guy at the shop simply was not a balanced game. I didn't enjoy getting blasted out of the sky without a chance to use any of my abilities. And frankly, I don't think he actually enjoyed winning without a fight. Now, we were strangers, and we hadn't discussed the kinds of games that we wanted to play. We did play a second game. It had the same result. I hung around for another hour or so and watched my friend and his group get in some more high-powered games, and I don't think it was anyone's fault that we didn't enjoy those games together, and in fact, I think it was probably more my fault than his. When we play with strangers, we should assume that the other player wants to win. It's a game, a game that declares winners, <laughs> right? So I should have assumed that that's what this other person was going into this game with. I didn't make that assumption, and I paid the price. I didn't have a lot of fun at that outing. Have any of you guys ever been in that situation where you you came into a group of strangers and what you were prepared for was completely different from what those strangers were prepared for? And whether, and whether it's specifically Magic or any other game, uh, have you ever been in that situation? I've been in it a few times. I remember one of my very first... I was a kid... And Yu-Gi-Oh came out, and I was in like a small country town or whatever, so there wasn't like a lot of stuff to do. And they were going to throw a like a Yu-Gi-Oh, I guess, get together or competition or something like that at a uh, Hastings, which is like a video book music store type thing. So as a kid, I was like, "Yeah, let's, I'm gonna go." And as a kid, I I think it's good because I don't know anything better. The internet wasn't great back then. <laughs> I went up there. I might as well got slapped in the face just immediately. <laughs> just just kicked in the kicked in the mouth, pushed down on the ground. 
it was it was awful. That was my villain origin story, and now I'm trying to <laughs> find the people who wronged me. And <laughs> we've also had games of magic. I remember a guy taking, you know, infinite turns, and it's like, okay, well, that that's yeah, it. Yeah, we we were just not ready for that type of deck to pop off with us. Yeah, Benjamin, have you ever been in that situation where what you came to the table? against strangers was just completely different than than what they had yeah uh and it's it's kind of been the other way and actually joining this group once i moved back to houston was kind of like that where you know i built decks i I, in fact i've been a competitive magic player for a long time and i was the one you know going to spike fnms and and trying to win at at grand prix and stuff now i never did very well in the in the main event but i i've won a couple side events and and such at Grand Prix or, or Magic Fest. And so I was always playing for prizes and trying to min my min max my decks just like I min max my characters and then when I when I joined this group it was not necessarily a bunch of noobs. Travis you've been playing a while and <laughs> I think Derek had been playing a little bit of time. Randy being the social gamer that he is didn't really know what he was doing. And uh, man, he's not even here to defend himself. He would agree. I'll say it to his face. <laughs> and so I think er- you know, that's, we talked about this a couple episodes ago where I spent a lot of the, the early time, it was 3v1 and I would still win. And that's not, you know, I've since learned that's not the game that y'all want to play. And it's not really the game that I wanted to play, right? This isn't, this isn't a, a, a Grand Prix. This is, this is an at home, four guys getting together to, to shoot the breeze and have fun. And I started realizing that y'all weren't having fun and I wasn't having fun and we had to change how we were playing. Yeah, I've had that experience here. There have been times where I have... This is before Commander was, was even a, a big thing. I made decks that were thematic for Standard or Modern and would would go to an LGS and play with Strangers on a Saturday where they were bringing out, you know, legacy decks or, or, or decks that were powered up that my theme deck just wasn't, wasn't prepared for. And I didn't blame them because I understood, you know, when you're playing with Strangers that that you should expect that they play to win like you said that that's always been my mindset and so adjusting mm-hmm. to a meta where that's not the norm has been more difficult for me so in terms of magic gathering i i have occasionally been on the other side of this where me and derek or the people the people in our group have a stranger come in and then we were the more powerful groups or we were the more powerful decks so when you go to an lgs a local game store it is very very common for it to just be crowded with magic players looking to jam in games. And it's because of what we talked about first. They're they're looking to play a game and not necessarily to make friends. Not necess- not necessarily to make friends. They want to jam in games. So our play group I do think is focused. I do think we have strong decks oh, that yeah. are focused, but it's not a competitive meta. We build strong decks that can win but not win at all cost as soon as possible. I like to describe our group as a pro wrestling meta. Yeah. Our 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 games uh you know, we want to win, but we've got big moves that we want to pull off. We want to make a show. We want to show that our deck did the thing. We want to live up to the story behind uh, why we built our decks or whatever. So we don't necessarily play super tight or completely optimized in order to win. We want to make sure that our deck can get off its big pro wrestling, you know, luchador jumping from the top rope move. 
And sometimes when we're playing, we let our rivalries or our alliances take the stage. We fight them out and stuff like that. And it doesn't happen often, but it has happened where me or Benjamin or me or Randy, we meet at the shop because not all four of us can join. And then we find some randoms and then those strangers can't handle what our deck is doing. Benjamin, I'll never forget when we were playing and I pulled out Angel Tribal. Right. And you pulled out, what was it that you were doing? Uh, oh, I was doing the, For the, that particular the game? human plus one plus one counters. Human plus one plus one counters. And a guy says, I thought we agreed to fair magic. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I don't remember what I had done. I think uh, Angelic Arbiter. I think I had played Angelic Arbiter, which says you have to choose between playing spells or going to combat. Yeah. And Benjamin had done something else. I don't remember. Well, but My humans were pretty like, big because they all, they all had plus one <laughs> plus one counters on them. Yeah, so... But I know that it's happened uh, with me and Randy once before, whenever I was playing my new uh, Ovika Enigma Goliath deck after the Phyrexia set came out, and I ended up winning in five or six turns. You know, people say, man, I thought I thought we were playing fair magic, and we thought our decks were fair, but they're fair to each other. <laughs> you know, my Hulk Hogan deck is fair to uh, Derek's Ultimate Warrior deck. Macho Man, Randy Savage. Hell yeah, brother. Those people are all ready to fight against each other. But when a stranger comes in, it, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, that Macho Man, Randy Savage, is ready to fight against a, a, a UFC or MMA fighter. Yeah. Or the opposite, a, a, a ninth grade kid in his judo class. Like, they're, 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 they're not in the same league. And if you haven't set that up ahead of time then uh then it's not going to work out or it's not going to feel fun now i will say that i've i've yet to meet somebody who is actually a really bad sport somebody who got up and grumped their way off or anything like that usually the strangers we see at our game shop have a, a decent amount of social acumen but i do surf the subreddits and it's amazing how just crowded they are with discussions about salty players on either side of that of that situation. So the the point of talking about all of this is and, and the point of devoting an episode to it is how can we avoid it? How can we avoid an awkward situation where everybody gets what they want from the hour or two that they sign up for when they agree to a game with a stranger? How can we prepare a stranger for what we've brought? Or how can we establish norms for a game with a stranger? And I think the biggest thing is transparency. You know, being honest about what your deck, list, or army is capable of. Uh, every time I've played my Ovika Enigma Goliath deck since then, I tell people, you know, Ovika has Ward, and you really should get him off the table as soon as possible if you see him. Because that deck is not going to last much longer after I play it. And the same was true whenever I had an Avacyn Angel of Hope deck. I said, this is a board wipe tribal deck. If I get Avacyn out, I'm taking away all the rest of your stuff. So transparency. Being honest about what your deck actually does. And what's your deck's game plan. How fast can it win. And as I was kind of writing this up and thinking about it, there's a quote in The Dark Knight where the Joker makes a remark about how humans are fine with bad outcomes if they've been warned about it in advance. 
he has this thing where he says, you know, on the news, if they say that somebody's uh, going to get shot, everybody's fine with it. But if it comes as a surprise, everybody loses their mind. Uh, and I think this is absolutely true when it comes to playing strangers. I played with a stranger who took out a several thousand dollar deck. It was probably worth maybe $4,000. It was obvious that he was very proud of it. It had rare, powerful, and expensive cards, and he wants to show it off. Hey, it's a collectible card game. Why shouldn't he want to show it off? But he warned us ahead of time. He said, this deck is really powerful. It has lots of ways to create infinite mana or draw out as many cards as I want uh, in order to create game-winning combinations. He says, I've got a lot. He told us ahead of time. He said, hey... If I play a, a, a card that says search my deck for any card, for the uninitiated in Magic, that's called a tutor. If I play a tutor that allows me to search my deck for any card, the ending could be coming at any moment. I've probably got a combo. So y'all need to be working for that and, and holding up disruption for it. And he told us ahead of time, and it became a really fun experience. We get to see all of his expensive cards, and we know... And he kind of told us and established ahead of time, I'll probably be the arch enemy for this one, but I want to test what my deck can do and show off all of my cool expensive cards. So we were playing tighter than ever. We were looking for openings and cracks, trying to disrupt the guy. I saved cards for him instead of my other opponents. Now, I did not go into that game with the expectation to win. And so instead, the entire game, I tried to learn and just, just admire his collection of historic cards. Losing that game wasn't a surprise, and so it didn't feel bad. How does this grok with you guys? Do you think transparency is a way to ease some of the social prickliness of a situation like this? What do you guys think of that idea? Yeah, I mean, I think transparency is key with any relationship, but, you know, if I'm sitting down with a stranger, you know, I've got my magic deck, say I pull out my Thrun deck. I was like, hey, it's a Voltron deck. Um, it's trying to do typical Voltron things. I'm going to try to hit you as hard as I can with this one guy. Yeah, there's a uh, a Commander YouTube channel. I, I think it's uh, Covert Goat Blue where they have the worst possible Commander show. <laughs> yeah, I've watched a couple episodes of that. And what they do at the beginning of every show is say, here's the, the biggest thing my deck can do. And you're right, like it can make a board full of infinite tokens or it can and that's essentially what you're talking about it kind of displayed there and i think that's a uh, a really good example of the transparency where you know what to look for and what kind of game you're getting into before you even get started and everyone's on the same page and and it kind of gives you the chance to opt out there's been a couple times where we've talked about that where i see one of y'all pull out a deck and i i make that decision do i want to play against that deck with this deck or do i need to change and so i i think that transparency is is definitely a good way to have a, a good gaming experience. So I can uh, I can hear the comments rolling in. You know, transparency is nice, but I still want to win. You know, I still want to win the game. So how can I win the game and keep no secrets? Now, some people like to win games at any cost, and any game that names a winner will draw those players. Okay, any game that has competition or prizes or money will attract those players. Players who want to win no matter what. You have to decide what winning means to you. 
if winning is the most important thing about sitting down at the table with strangers that day, you know, if it's Friday night and your shop does commander, our shop just does commander now. They really don't fire off standard pioneer or modern games anymore. Commander is just the most popular format. It's the format that gets people in the door to spend money on product. And so it's all just commander, commander free play nights. If you're the type of person who wants to win at any cost, then you need to stay in the competitive circuit. Maybe you need to play online on Arena. Or maybe you need to find a different shop, if you can, where... There are no social rules. Where they are firing off events like Pioneer or Modern or things like that. Most people like winning, but there needs to be a nuance for why people play games. And I think a lot of people have that nuance for why they play games. So, I love the feeling of winning, but only if I fought against someone else's best. I, I, you know, and we talked about that a couple episodes too. I don't get a lot of satisfaction when I beat somebody else because of bad luck. Because they were mana flooded or mana screwed or whatever. I want to win knowing that my strategy or my deck was built better than my opponent's. What do you guys think about balancing transparency in an effort to have a good social experience versus the desire to win. What would you guys do here? It, this might be a hot take or whatever, but I don't, I don't think being transparent about strategies or a specific card is going to stop you from winning. At least, for, at least a game like Magic, where there's so much randomness, like depending on what cards you draw... Yeah, and so if, much variance. Yeah, if you've got open mana, if, you know, there's no telling. So I don't feel like that is going to affect anything. It's like you either have it or you don't. Well, the competitive players have ways to eliminate that variance. They'll play tutors or they'll play cards that they'll play lots of duplicates of a certain effect. Yeah, and I and again, like you said, they'll play duplicates. So I feel like if they... There are more than one car that does the same thing. Right. Uh, so, you know, you have backups for your backups for your backups in those types of situations. So I don't think having transparency is any kind of deal breaker or, you know, just the transparency saying, hey, I'm going to win at whatever cost and I'm going to make sure I'm going to stop you as best I can. You know, even that is letting someone know what they're in for. That's true. Yeah. Just saying ahead of time that I'm, I'm not here to politic or make deals. I'm here to win. And that will certainly get the rest of the group on their toes if they weren't already. Yeah. Right. And saying what kind of deck you're playing doesn't give it away. Like if you say, hey, I'm here to pillow fort, I'm going to set up every single defensive card and, and you're going to have to pay 20 mana to attack me with a single creature and you're going... <laughs> like that doesn't stop me from doing that, right? It just, it maybe inspires you to attack me early but that's what you should have been doing, and if this was the second time we had played each other, you would have known to do that. And so right. it, it depends on, do I want to win by the element of surprise? Maybe I keep certain cards secret. I might say, I'm not going to fully disclose every single interaction. You need to be on your toes, like you were saying. Um, mm -hmm. But generally speaking, this is an this is an aggro deck, or this is a you know this is a control deck, whatever. You know, with it, this is specifically for Commander, but we we all know. You know, we all see what your commander is. It's laying there the whole game. At least us, this group, have played enough games and ingested enough magic content to know what almost every commander wants to do. Or at least, like, the most mm -hmm. 
you know, mainstream form of that deck. So, you know, that, I know that exactly is, what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Every time a new commander comes out, all of the podcasts are saying, well, this is how I would build it. And, and now there are websites like EDH rec that are so popular. I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, EDH rec scrubs actual online deck lists from throughout the internet and then compiles them into data that you can scroll through for any given commander or card. So you can literally see 68% of people who built this commander included this card. And just a quick glance at a commander's page can give you a good idea about what most people are going to do with that deck, which is going to front load a lot of information as soon as you see it in the command zone, even if you're playing against a stranger. So I think there is the the idea that there are some people out there that that they want to win at any cost, and therefore they want they also want the element of surprise, right? They want to be Sun Tzu, uh, keeping their plans hidden and and you know attacking from the heights and all that stuff. But I think that I don't get that thrill from saying, "Oh, you didn't know I could do this, so I played these two cards, and you didn't know what they did, and so I win." Oops, right? Like that wasn't a competitive game. Even if even if you were playing a more powerful deck than I was, the fact that you didn't know to look out for something and it just caught you off guard, well, I don't feel good about winning that way, right? I want to win in a way... Now, if this was a competitive thing where the idea was we're all trying to win, I absolutely feel good winning that way. Yeah, right? if there were prizes on the line, or if I'm Sun Tzu and the the political survival of my culture depends on me winning then yeah i will surprise somebody from the hillside right but if if all it, if all that's happening is i'm sitting across the table from somebody and they're like all there is 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 just a good social experience on the line that's the only thing that's on the line well, if, when i'm sitting in a table of four i mean there is winning and pride and all that stuff on the line and i understand that there are lots of people especially if you're sitting down with with strangers i don't i don't care about my relationship with you right I don't care about about trying to, to I don't care about the next game because there may not ever be one. Right. But I still right at the at those times where there's no prizes on the line, and this doesn't just go for magic. This is all of my favorite t- board games and tabletop games where I may play it with you once and never again. I want to win because I outmaneuvered you on a level playing field, and so. I, you know, when I'm teaching somebody a new game, I like to over-explain the rules so they can't ever say that there was something they didn't know. Or I go into it saying, this one doesn't count, and we'll play another one. Or mm-hmm. or something like that, so that so that everyone sees every, every angle, and then we will match with. And if this is the only time I'm going to get to play with you with this, with this deck, I want you to know what it can do so that you're on your toes. So that I'm playing against a worthy opponent. And I feel good about my victory and not, oh, I, you know, I, I did something you didn't expect and there, and there was nothing you could do about it. Oops. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there's a bit of pride in that, but I think, I think most people would benefit from that sort of attitude that, that really when you're playing with strangers, you're playing against yourself in a way that if, and maybe there's a bit of metaphor for how people live their life. I don't know if that's true. That might be too deep, but I kind of feel that way with uh, some people want to win easy and, and want to keep every single advantage on their side, even at the expense of, of a good experience or a good time for others. And some people want 
you know, they, they like the challenge and want to be challenged, even if that means they don't win because they, they gave up an advantage. And, and I'm in that latter group, right? I, I want, I actually want to play from behind. I, I want to, to, to be the underdog. I want to, to have over-explained what my cards do. or, or mm-hmm. And, and y- y'all will catch me doing that sometimes where I say, hey, if you let this... Uh, I have the infinite combo in hand. If you don't kill this thing, I'm going to win next turn. Good luck. And I will I will announce that to the board. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, and, and that doesn't mean I don't have ways to defend it or whatever. Uh, and I'm not, doesn't mean I'm not going to do something surprising in the moment. But I want you to know that the win is coming, right? And, and see what you can do about it. I think that helps with the, tr- the transparency and still wanting to win. You can still be competitive and, and have a competitive attitude without without ruining other people's or your own experience in that game because you were mismatched or or playing for different reasons. Right. I also think that when there are when there are no stakes and you're playing against strangers for no prizes or whatever, that is just more and more opportunity to grow and learn and become a better and better and better player yeah if i'm sitting down at friday night magic or a grand prix i'm certainly not going to tell my opponent you know i i you better be holding up some removal for what's that whatever's in my hand like i'm probably not gonna be telegraphing that but if i'm it's kind of like giving your opponent uh, a handicap in order for you to keep practicing I want to keep making sure that my play gets better and better and better, and so I'm going to give my opponent uh, uh, an advantage, even if it's just an advantage of of knowledge about what might be coming, yeah, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, a great example of this, uh, but and, and kind of both using magic. There was a, we went to that magic fest in Dallas, uh, I guess 2019, and I was on a a smallpox deck, and and for anybody who doesn't know, smallpox is. Each player discards a card, sacrifices a creature, sacrifices a land, and I think loses one life and, just on top of right, it. Right, loses one life <laughs> for no reason. And it it wasn't the best deck. I think I I think I went three three and and dropped because I wasn't going to make day two and wanted to do some other stuff. But there was a game that was practically a buy because I was going up against an infect deck. And back then, uh, I know in, infect decks have kind of evolved a little bit, but back then infect decks basically. They played one or two infect creatures. They had, they had a very low threat density. Basically, you just they would play one infect creature and then protect it and pump it to get you to to ten poison. And, and basically, it was a, it was a race to get you to ten poison before you could set up. Well, that meant they played very few creatures and very few lands. Right, all their stuff was was one or two mana. They would play practically no lands. And practically no creatures they just needed one or two and the rest of the, their deck was all instance pump spells and stuff and so smallpox wrecked that deck because because they had to sack a creature yeah they play one land yeah. they play their creature you play smallpox their board is empty and they've lost one of their pump spells on top of that oh because they had to sack a land too yeah and oh my god and, and so that like i remember i sat down and that guy was so nice and i of course i wasn't going to tell him what i was playing but he knew after the first game right when we go to sideboarding but mm-hmm. but going into sideboarding he's like i don't have anything that can stop this right and, and of course not right that's just not yeah. not the game he set up to play and and he didn't i wrecked him two games in a row they were the easiest games i played all day and and i wasn't about to give up some, i wasn't about to board out uh, to sideboard out my smallpoxes <laughs> just to give him a, a sporting chance. Right. Um, but on the flip side, 
So uh, we've mentioned a few times uh, over the last few episodes Randy's um, token deck with life gain, his Darien King of Kieldor deck. And I, yeah. I have a deck that just kills tokens for fun and profit. Uh, and anytime I see that he is playing Darien. Yeah, uh, God, what's his name? Grismold. 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 Yeah. That's right. Grismold says every time a token dies, he gets a plus one, plus one counter. And so the whole thing is is made to to kill tokens. And I've got basically every... Kill tokens specifically with with extreme prejudice. Yes. Yeah. And I've got... Travis and I are paying for Randy's mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but but I put that deck away. Like, if I pull it out and then I see Randy pull out Darien, I will put Grismold away and pull out another deck. Because, yeah. because he's not, he's not going to have a fun game. His deck is not going to do the thing. And I'm... You know, it's it's too easy. Right now, could he get lucky, and would that be the greatest victory he's ever had? Yes, but I don't want to take that chance of you know ruining an hour of his life because I wanted an easy game, and it's only going to be easy against him anyway. I might still lose to one of you two, while also making his life miserable. Yeah, right? I mean, what might happen is that Travis and I are like, oh, we feel bad for Randy, so we start you know beating the hell out of you. Yeah, maybe, but the thing is. His deck would make the tokens, and they would immediately die, and Grismold would get bigger. Like, right. Like, it would... I do remember one game where I stole Grismold and killed you with him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Live by the Grismold, die by the Grismold. <laughs> exactly. But but I think that's the that's the, the example I want to go with. In the competitive, competitive event, you know, I kept the advantage. I'm not going to share strategy. I'm not going to to do any of any of those things that that's going to help the other guy catch up to me but in in our friendly games i do want to win but i don't i'm not going to keep every advantage and and risk the the misery i want to try to play you know from level or from behind and try to get better right i already know i can beat token decks with a token with a deck that where every card kills tokens can i beat it with a pillow fort deck or a life gain deck i don't know i'm going to try that's how you can still play to win without caring that you're giving up certain advantages, right? Giving your opponents advantages when there's nothing at stake is for your be- long-term benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Derek, anything you want to add here? No, I think that's it. There's one last major thing I wanted to hit. I do think it should go without saying, but we shouldn't play with cheaters or liars. Yep. Uh, this whole game or this whole discussion has been with, about session zero, rule zero, establishing what you want at the beginning in order to make sure that everybody has a good time. We've mentioned that we agree to the rules of a game before playing with one. So it should go without saying that no one wants to play with a cheater. Cheaters have not agreed to those rules, and so we should not agree to play with them. We should also not play with strangers who lie. Now, if someone misrepresents their deck, or army, or list, or whatever the game is, we give them their one game, But then there's no obligation to give them more games unless they maybe have been amicable and personable and you or the stranger are willing to adjust for a second better game. If people are willing to adjust for a second better game, then you can. But if someone has lied in order to win by misrepresenting their deck or lying in any other way, then you should reconsider playing with them. Remember that a stranger who lies about a game with no stakes 
they will lie about other stuff. Yeah. If it's a game that has no stakes, that's not the only thing they've ever lied about. Episode one of this podcast has been about establishing actual friendships. You should decide if you want to, if you're comfortable forming a deeper bond with somebody who treats a stranger this way. You know, it, it's kind of like when you're dating and you, you kind of evaluate the person based on how they treat the waiter on your date. Yeah. You know, if, they, if they're going to treat a stranger this way, then do I want to form a longer lasting bond with this person and spend more time with them? I mean, kind of the running byline through all of these episodes is that our time is one of our most precious commodities. That's why we want payoff whenever we play together. If somebody hasn't respected my time by lying, then should I lose more of it with future games? I just wanted to make sure to hit those points that liars and cheaters have not agreed to the rules. They have not agreed to upholding the promises made in a session zero or a rule zero conversation or discussion. Yeah. Anything you guys want to add there? I remember, God, it's been about two or three, maybe four years ago now. Oh my uh, gosh. It's been a minute. I don't know if it was pre-COVID or not. We were playing a game. I think it was down to uh, just Travis, Randy, and I. I think Benjamin had been knocked out or maybe he wasn't playing. And I made a deal with Randy saying something like, you know, if I do this for you, will you not kill me in return? Or something like that. Like, I was going to save his <laughs> life to, you know, whatever. I, I can't remember. And he's like, yeah, sure. So I did my part. I think I had knocked Travis out or maybe I got him low. But I had to, like, you know, invest all my resources into it. And then when Randy comes around, he's like, you're completely defenseless and it's only between the two of us now so yeah so he's like yeah. ah, sorry which it wasn't really lying he just kind of was dishonorable <laughs> but it was enough of an again the man <laughs> is not here to defend himself today <laughs> I'll, I'll text him after this let him know that we were you know talking shit <laughs> it wasn't a big deal but i'm still talking about it years later if he was a stranger Oh, I don't know if exactly. I, would. I do think it's very different if it's between just us, yeah. And somebody goes back on a deal or something. But again, because if it's just us, then we could play that off as, oh, I was playing a character, or oh, but what a story that made that we can retell the next time we're together, because our bonds are closer, and we know that there are more games coming in the future. And you can make and him so, pay for that. Yeah, and I did games. for. For exactly. You can still hold that over him, and each individual game we play becomes part of a larger narrative, part of a larger you know, set of battles, an entire war, rather than just a single isolated session. Playing with strangers is the idea that, listen, there, there may only be one game with you. There, they, I may only be with you for an hour and a half. I want to make sure that we both still have a good time there. Yeah, and I do. I I think that's different. What you just described, like like politicking or you know going back on a deal in a game, that's a way to to just you know figure out what kind of a person someone is and and how you're going to treat deals with them in future games. Like if a stranger, I'll never trade with Benjamin in Monopoly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's Will's doing. <laughs> Will poisoned me long ago. <laughs> but. I would still play with someone who went back on a deal if they hadn't lied or been or been horrible out of the game. Like to me, that's an in-game action. I I won't hold that against them. 
like trying to win with resource like making a deal and going back on it i'll be like well i'm just not going to make any more deals with you but like if we come in and say hey we're playing pretty low power here like upgraded pre-cons and he says okay no problem and he, and then and then pulls out a, a you know a nine a, a power level a, a something that that has a, a bunch of expensive reserve list cards you know they they go turn one mana crypt mana vault soul ring mimnark go I, I mean, that guy's Narset Enlightened Master Infinite Turns deck. Yeah. It was just full of Planeswalkers and Infinite Turns. It was it was crazy. Yeah, that's clearly not on the same power level as an upgraded pre-constructed deck. And so that is going to... Like, I'm not going to play with that person again because I can't trust... To, I can't trust them to, one, want to have a good time, or at least on the same terms as me. I can't trust that we're even speaking the same language. Like, what does power level mean? What does a game of magic... Like, what do you want out of this? We're playing two different games, and they're not willing to agree to the rules, like you said. That's different. And, of course, cheating, as you mentioned, I I totally agree. Like, once you establish somebody as a cheater, they're not playing that game. No one's going to have fun. If they're having fun with that, that's, that's a problem. All right, Benjamin, give us a last nugget of wisdom to close this episode out on. Dang. Okay. So, overall, what all this boils down to is good communication about expectations, right? And and it applies to more than gaming. It applies to everything in your life. Managing expectations can help you with your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your bosses, everything and every person that you have to deal with, when you let them know ahead of time, this is what I have to offer, this is what I'm going to do for you, and then you fulfill those expectations as you describe them, that makes everyone's life better. makes your life better, people are are, are pleased with your service, they're pleased with your relationship, and you have have given to people in in a powerful way, and hopefully are, are receiving that same thing in return. So clear communication about your expectations it is a wonderful way to go through life and a wonderful way to go through game. Hot damn, I knew I'd be able to count on you for that. <laughs> All right, well, let's close out this episode. Thank you very much, Benjamin and Derek. I have been Travis, and we hope you guys have great future games with friends and strangers. Have a great night. Bye. Bye. podcast was edited by me, Travis Konashek, and our intro and outro music is by Tyler Heath of The Oh Hellos. Check them out.